Well, before I get into the uh, message, I want to um, say that we're really happy to have Renee here this morning. And Renee's here from Slovenia, and she'll be... When will you go back, Renee? In about two weeks, and um, plan to have her um, tell a little bit next Sunday in our service about a little bit of an update for those of you who are excited about that. And um, maybe we can combine that with our with our trip and a little bit of news from the from the group that went on our trip. Um, just a reminder that I know most of you are aware of, but if you don't have school kids anymore, uh, this is the week. Everything starts happening, so things get very busy this week as kids start back to school, and at the end of the week, um, people start arriving. Uh, we already have some sort of arriving for uh, college and Western and SEC, and so keep that in mind. Things get pretty busy around here. Um, a lot to pray for. A lot of ministries uh, kick off during this time. Things get busier here at church, and it's kind of an exciting time for us, and we look forward to, and we've been praying a lot and planning a lot about different things that we're going to be doing in the coming weeks. Uh, I want us to remember... Um, um, Well, there's two things on on a um, on a more difficult note that I, I want to mention, and the first is more generic, uh, but it's still incredibly difficult thing, um, and that is uh, most of you are aware of a, a tragedy in Maui, and how that's impacted that island and many many people's lives. Um, that also always reminds me to think about. Uh, there are also places where people face trials every single day, where there are persecuted lands, where um, people are persecuted for their faith. There are places where people live in war zones. Um, obviously not just um, uh, the places that are more notarized in the media. There's always places where people's lives are threatened every day because of war. And then I did want to mention for many of us in this church are very close friends with the Steve and April Bryson family and the passing of their 27-year-old son, uh, Zach Bryson. So we want to remember to pray. There's always things to be praying for. So let's, uh, let's turn to the Lord in, in prayer. Father, we just pray that you would be the comforter where people are experiencing difficulty and loss. And we do remember to pray for the Bryson family, God, and um, they're very deeply rooted in this community, so it's impacted a lot of people in this community, and we pray for them, God. We pray that you would comfort them and give them strength. Oh, God, we pray for Renee, and we thank you for calling her to Slovenia. We thank you for placing her in a new location where the work of the gospel will continue, and we pray for your blessing upon the work of the gospel there, the church that is there, and the work that you've called her to be part of, and that we might continue to have the privilege of coming alongside her and supporting her father. We think about the many parents who are um, readying their kids for school and little kids who are excited and um, older students who probably didn't want to see the summer come to an end, but we do pray, God, for ministries that are committed to going into the schools. Um, we pray for our own youth ministry, and we pray for Caleb, and we pray for Jordan as they minister to children and students. We pray for Dolphus and FCA. We pray for campus outreach at the college, God. We pray for coaches and we pray for 
uh, school teachers and administrators whose lives are built around their calling is in that arena, God, of, of the world of education. And we pray for Christians who are in that arena, God. And we pray that they would be strong, they would not be discouraged, that they would feel a great sense of calling, that they would overcome the hurdles and the challenges that they will face. And we pray, God, that you would help them overcome um, just some of the situations that are taking place as a part of our modern culture and some of the messages that come out that are contrary to biblical truth. And we pray that those people that you've placed, not only adults, but even students who are Christian students, God, who go into their schoolrooms and into their world with their peers, and we pray that you would give them grace and strength and they would live for your glory and honor and they would learn to seize those opportunities, God, that people uh, would rub shoulders with, with Christian thought and the light of the gospel and that we would get to see uh, much fruit this coming fall as people pour their lives and hearts and prayers into ministering in that very needful mission field. And Father, we also pray for foster care and we pray for um, children who uh, are often in great need and some of them are hurt physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Many of them have never heard of the gospel and we thank you God for raising up people like Aaron and Jen, Eric and Jen and the many others in our church that have already jumped into this world of foster care and we praise you for them God and may we be uh, a part of that. May even if we don't have foster kids come into our particular homes, they are coming into our church home and we just pray that this would be a wonderful place for them God. They would hear the gospel and that we would support every parent that chooses to go down this path and they would feel loved and supported and prayed for. Lord God, would you be with us now as we open the word and speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you, you may have noticed as the um, reading of Scripture, uh, the Barlows were reading this passage, and one thing that maybe stood out to you, and you, I don't think you're, you have a different brain than I do if you could keep up with uh, the list of things and list all the trials that Paul went through and he's just listing one after another after another and you're just like you could stop on just one of them and ponder it and go man that's a lot but there's like I don't know my, my list is like 25 the, the way I, I numbered it and so I want us to look at this passage and one of the questions I want to be presenting is um, is a normal part suffering is a normal part of the Christian life and it may not look the same. It may not necessarily always be suffering for your faith, but suffering in your faith. So it might not be that you're suffered because you're an, a, a missionary and incredibly bold like the Apostle Paul. It could be that you're just going through normal suffering of being a human being and going through cancer and um, divorce or loss of a loved one and those things. So there's, there's two different kinds of sufferings, but I think we can tie them together and see that God has a similar purpose in those things. So that's kind of my, my goal this morning. In the first set of verses in 16 to 21, um, Paul does a little more boasting. Uh, he feels a little uncomfortable with it and says, hey, I, I'm, I'm acting kind of foolish, um, but um, I, I feel driven by the need to affirm my calling as an apostle. So he does a little 
more boasting. So the great missionary and apostle Paul was willing to do almost anything to defend the integrity of the gospel in hopes of winning souls. So he was willing even to do a little uncomfortable self-promotion and come across as foolish if that's what it took. He wasn't wanting to do that, but he was willing. He was willing to do whatever it took to defend the integrity of the gospel and so that people could come to know Christ. Dangerous false teachers were beaming with self-confidence and even boasting about how they deserved to be leaders and teachers like politicians campaigning for office. So Paul reluctantly beats them at their own game. It's like, okay, you want to you play this game? You want to compare credentials? You push me to this. Let's compare credentials and then at the end of this, let's see who's still in the game. And so he really challenges them. So let's look now at his resume in verses 21 to 29, or really 21 to the end of the chapter. So let's take a look at Paul's resume. It's like, okay, you guys, here's your resume. Let me throw mine out there. No one could match Paul's resume. Not even close. It doesn't even sound real, but it is 100% real. It's like, it's so, when you read it, you read it, you're like, going, is that real? And you read that and feel that way. It's like, is that real? Is this part of the Bible real? It's like so impressive, but also it's like, did he, did he really go through all this? Did one man go through all this for his love of God? And it's 100% real. Uh, I kind of feel like it makes Indiana Jones look like the beginner Cub Scout. If it was not real, believe me, they would have immediately called him out and declared him a liar, which then would have disproven that he was worthy to be an apostle. So if it wasn't real, Paul was throwing a hook out there that they could easily have disproved, and it would have been, he would have immediately been disqualified because then he would have been uh, revealed to be a liar. And you better believe they were, would have jumped on that. So his resume was out there. And they weren't able to dispute it. They didn't go on, they didn't dispute his calling on that ground because they all knew that it was true. They had heard about Paul's exploits and Paul's life and Paul's travel. It was, it was, it was becoming well known. So what Paul essentially does is he calls God to the witness stand. It's pretty bold, wouldn't, don't you think? If you're doing something... And, and some people are questioning, and you call God to the witness stand. It's like, okay, I'm going to call God to the witness stand. And, and you can see that in one of the latter verses. He says, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, he who is blessed, knows I'm not lying. He's like, God is my witness. He's sort of putting his hand on the Bible and said, I swear before God. He takes a courtroom oath before God Almighty. He's almost saying, God strike me dead if I'm lying. He puts the ultimate oath for a God-fearing man and he calls God to the witness stand and then he, go, he begins and he says, so, alright, you can tell your credentials after I've done. I had a feeling it was crickets. No one wanted to talk after Paul. It's like, okay, here's my resume and they're like going, oh, I'll put mine back in my pocket. I'll move on to the next job. Listen to what he had been through. 
he begins by saying, my, my Jewish credentials are perfect. It's like I'm Hebrew, completely Jewish, Israeli, Israeli, Israelite. And I can trace my lineage back to Abraham. So at least in terms of his blood test, he took a blood test and it's like I passed the blood test. It's like pure, he's a purebred, he's absolutely. Now some of us might say, well, why, why is that that important? Because, because the beginning apostles began defending the gospel in a Jewish world to a Jewish nation and therefore the Jews were the first ones that had to see and be demonstrated because they had been the carriers of the Bible. They had been the ones in covenant with God. And so the covenant people, the people that God had chosen, were the first ones that needed to take a look and say, yes, he absolutely has their credentials required. And that was the first thing, his perfect Jewish credentials. And then he begins by comparing, comparison to them. Well, you want to know the truth? I was a better servant of Christ than them. Like I was a better servant. Like I wasn't always putting myself on top. I have a, my records that I, I was willing to serve. And I was more zealous in it than you. Far greater labors. It's like I worked harder than all of them. If you look at Paul's life, you're kind of going, I don't know, I don't know anyone that's matched that. So he could say, I put in more hours, I worked harder. Far more imprisonments. Most of them didn't have one. They weren't willing to suffer for Christ. And he says, I've had, a, I've had several in prison. I've, I've had to go to prison. And prison back then was not an air conditioning room with uh, their own private refrigerator and meals and a library. It's like a little room. And not well kept. And he said, I've, I've suffered in prison several times for the gospel. Countless beatings. Countless beatings. It's, it's no fun to get hit once. Accidentally. And he was beaten intentionally as a means of civil punishment. In other words, professional beaters. He got beaten by the Jews. 39 lashes, which is the 40 minus 1. In Deuteronomy 29.3, it talks about a beating 40 lashes. I read that the Jews um, came up with the 40 minus 1 because they were so strict on their, you could beat someone up to 40 times, but they're so strict in their legalistic interpretation that they didn't want to go over, so they would stop at 39 just in case they miscounted and accidentally hit 40, so they wouldn't do 41 and then violate the law. They're all good about 39. But he had that five times. He got lashed, scourged with a whip. Five different times they take your shirt off, lean you over a stone, and a professional whipper who knows just how to beat almost the life out of you. 30, 40 minus 1 was their way of saying almost to the point of death, up to the point of death and then stopping, because it wasn't a capital punishment. So they could be 39 times. Paul did that five times, beaten with rods. 
Now this was the Roman punishment. Jewish punishment with a whip, Roman punishment with a rod. It's like taking a stick, solid stick. And um, I think I read that it was birchwood maybe. Just a stick, like a walking stick. This wasn't, a, um, you know, the whip or the, you know, run outside, son, and grab you a, a what is it? Switch. Yeah, go get you. This wasn't a switch. This was a stick. A switch bends. A stick breaks you. They would have broken bones after getting beaten with a rod. Three different times he had that. He was stoned with rocks, which is uh, the intention of being stoned is a capital punishment. They're typically going to stone you to death. For some reason it was stopped. He was stoned once. Shipwrecked three times in the open sea. One time he was adrift for 24 hours in the open sea. I guess he grabbed a piece of wood from the ship and he was out there for 24 hours. It says a day and a night. Constant travel, missionary journeys. He was constantly on the go. Travel was not glamorous, especially for someone like an apostle. That might have been glamorous for a king or someone and had an entire caravan but for Paul, it was like just getting from one place to another and it would take weeks and days and it was dangerous. It wasn't comfortable. Dangerous from rivers. Traveling over rivers. You know, in, old, in, in the day when you came to a river, you had to get across it if you wanted to go to the next continent, to the next land. You had to go across the river and some of those rivers were mighty rivers. And sometimes the so-called ferry boat didn't look so promising when you pull up and the guy says, yeah, I'll get you across for $25. And you're like going, who would go across on that thing? Oh, we get across all the time. And it says that many times he experienced great danger, danger from robbers. I'm sure his group was probably robbed sometimes in all his travels. Danger from the Jews. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, people who were plotting his downfall. Some Remember there was a group of people that were, they had taken a sworn oath that they would not eat until Paul was dead. I have a feeling they ate. They broke their oath because Paul didn't die as a result of them. But they swore an allegiance, swore an oath that they wouldn't eat until Paul was dead. And they tried to kill him. And that probably happened many times for Paul. Um, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, many times hungry and thirsty, cold and exposed. Have you ever been somewhere where you're just freezing cold through the night? Freezing cold, like you're just shaking and you can't, like camping or power outage or something like that, and you're, you don't sleep. You shiver all night. And it's a long night. And I'm sure some of you have been on mission trips and you've been somewhere in the hot of the summer, and all the fan does is blow 94 degree heat on you. And you're like sweating all night through, and it's like, oh, you just, no covers, fan, still not helping. There's a, a gecko over your head and crawling on the ceiling or lizards and bugs and 
you're kind of like going, man, I sure wish I'd brought that mosquito net because I think they're eating through this spray I put on my body. And then on top of that, the guy next to you snoring. Um, uh, many nights hungry and thirsty, cold and exposed, the presence of anxiety for all the churches daily. Every day he thought about the churches. Every day he thought about the work of God. Lowered in a basket to escape Damascus. And Paul went through a lot. And simply because he loved God, he loved Jesus, and he wanted people to know Jesus. And then, um, and so what's his assessment at the end? His assessment is this, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weaknesses. So Paul's conclusion of himself was that I am weak. The, the false apostle, here's their self-assessment. I am very strong. I can run things, look at what I can do, follow me. That was the assessment of the people who were accusing Paul. And that's the kind of person you don't want to follow. You don't want to follow the person who says, I am strong, I can run things, look at what I can do, get in line behind me. He said, nope. In the spiritual realm. Now if we're talking about someone that's a soldier Something like that. We're talking a whole different thing. But we're talking about in spiritual leadership. If someone comes and there's this beaming self-confidence. Then I would recommend that you look elsewhere. Paul. Here's how Paul saw himself. I am very weak. I could never do these things apart from God. But look at what Christ can do. Follow Christ along with me. See the difference? The one person says, look at me, follow me. The other person says, look at Christ and let's follow him together. I just, I'm just happen to be first in line. But I'm, don't, don't see me, see beyond me and see Christ. If you can't see someone beyond that person that they're following Christ, that's what Paul's saying. But now I want to get back to this whole thing about Paul's suffering. And I want us to talk about suffering for a minute. Um, Paul calls his suffering in 2 Corinthians 4 light and momentary. And I just want to ask you and your suffering. If I could do away with it, friend, I would. If I could take you, if you could say, Hey, Scott, if, if, we, put, um, if we come to you and, and if you have some holy water you can put on us and pray for us, and can you get rid of my suffering? If I could, I, of course I would. But I don't have that ability. And also, if I did that, I would probably be countering the purposes of God. Because He's the only one wise enough to know. He's the only one wise enough to know what you need and when you need to go through something in order to look to Him and trust Him. And He's the only one that knows when it's time to remove a trial or if that trial is going to be something that you, you carry with you. He's the only one wise enough to know. In Matthew chapter 5, 11 and 12, when Jesus is giving the Beatitudes, He said that you'll suffer like I've suffered. If you follow Me and you're My disciple, you will suffer. As they treat you, they'll treat Me. So there is suffering that comes as a result of being a Christian. And then there's suffering as a result of being a human. There's suffering for being a Christian for your faith and your strong faith. And that's what Paul was talking about 
But most of us aren't going to experience that side of it quite as much. In little ways, yes, and maybe in bigger ways some than others. But we're all going to experience suffering because we're human. And so we might get both. There's times when people are going to get upset with us if we take a stand for our Savior. In our little world, maybe we're not going to be in the news or front line, but sometimes your family will get mad at you just because you do something according to Christian conviction and you don't go along with the opinion of everybody. Your, own, your, own, your sister will get mad at you. Your brother will get mad at you. Your parents will get mad at you. Your children will get mad at you. Oh, you're just being this or that. And in your heart you're going, I'm just trying to follow Christ. You're, when, sometimes some of you feel that pressure at work. If you're a student, you might feel that pressure because you don't let the person next to you cheat. Or you won't give them your homework. Or you won't go party with them. Or you won't do whatever they're doing. Or your boyfriend will get mad at you because you say, no, I'm, I'm not going to have sex before marriage. They get mad at you. And you say, well, I'm, I'm not interested in dating. And you're going to take a stand for some things for being a follower of Christ. And you're going to get some uncomfortable pushback. And I would call that persecution. Where you get a negative reaction because of some commitment that you have to Jesus Christ. You know, your, 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 your family comes into town and you're like going, Hey, great to have you in town. We're, we're going to church. It's like, well, we're in town. We only come twice a year. It's like, well, this is important to us. We'd love to have you guys. Why don't you go with us? Man, you, if you don't play that game, you'll get some pushback from your family. It's like, ooh, Mr. High and Mighty. Oh, y'all think y'all are so good. It's like, I'm just living out. I'm li if, you, if you make a deep commitment to live out your faith, you're going to rub some people the wrong way. And the more visible and vocal your position is, the more pushback you're going to get. But I just promise you, if you, make a if you make a commitment to do this one simple thing, this is enough to get you in trouble with people. If you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God, you'll have enemies. If you just simply tell the truth. Just, that's just one principle of Christian living. If you decide, I'm going to tell the truth and I'm going to take my stand, you'll have people so mad and you're going, how can you say that? You're going to get me in trouble. So, well, it wasn't my choice to do, make that decision. If you make a commitment for sexual purity, you're going to get some people really mad at you. If you make a choice not to do drugs and you're in a setting and everybody, all your friends and all your peers are doing it, you're going to lose some friends. If you make a choice, if you let your view be known that you believe that it's wrong to take the life of an unborn child and you vocalize it, you can hold it inside and nobody will bother you. You can make you like, I hold my conviction inside. Everybody's entitled to their own position. If you, don't, if you take no stand other than your own, if you dare come against a family member, if you dare say something at school, if you dare say something in a setting where everybody's super um, into the right to an abortion, you're going to lose some friends. You're going to lose some friends. Would you do that for Jesus? 
Would you do? That's what Paul is Paul's saying, look at what I did for Jesus or look what it looks like to live for Jesus at Paul's level. You're the only one to know what it looks like to live for Jesus at your level. You're right where God's put you. Will you take your stand? He's not asking you to do this. This is his list. But the real question is, what's your list? Do you just go with people because it's uncomfortable? Like, I don't, I don't want to talk about gender. I don't want to get in trouble. Whatever pronoun you want, friend, I'm good with. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to lose my job. They put new standards out there. I lose my job for Jesus. Well, that's, you know, you don't have to get that carried away. I'm not going to say anything about this or that, about my faith. I'm going to be a quiet Christian. I'm going to show my love for Jesus by my works. Well, God also gave you a mouth. And that's how we testify. And it's hard. So I guess here's the thing I'm saying. Where did you ever get the idea that this wasn't going to be hard? You didn't get it out of this book. You didn't get that out of this book. Somebody told you a lie if they said, just come on in here to Jesus and life will be good all the time. And your, your bills will all get paid. Your health will all be good. Everybody will like you. That's not from this book. That's not from this book. So um, here's how I, I want to try to challenge you. Um, I want you to have a biblical perspective and that is there's going to be two types of trials, and we want to be faithful in both. Some of the trials are for your faith in Christ, for your Christianity, and some are for just living life and your humanity. And in both situations, I'm going to ask you to plead with God to elevate your faith so you can testify to the glory of God in both situations. That you elevate and say, Lord God... If something comes up, give me the courage to be bold because I'm, I'm terrified. Just be honest with God. Like, Lord, I'm terrified to stand. People get mad at me. I could lose my job. And people that think I'm so nice, they're going to accuse me of being mean-spirited. I'll tell you what. Someone calling me mean-spirited probably hurts a little less than a stick breaking my bones. But I, I guess the Lord is kind of saying, here's what it looked like for Paul and what would it look like for you. Where's your place? Where's your field? Where are, your, where are you a witness? You, no one's asking. You don't have to be arrogant and rude. You, you try to be very Christ-like and loving. But if someone asks you, love, you can learn and pray for the wisdom to lovingly respond with strength and humility. It's like, well, this probably isn't the best time to go into it all because I can tell like I'm the odd man out here but I actually believe in the, the sanctity of life and I believe that every person's life is valuable. And I know there's some difficult ways to play that out and I know you can come up with these scenarios, but it's because of my conviction, I believe that every human life has value. And I believe life begins at conception. So just so you know, that's my starting point. You can still be friends with me, I hope, but if not, that would be your choice. <laughs> but this is who I am. And that's just kind of where you go.
and say, hey, look, I know there's all this gay and lesbian stuff out there, but can I just kind of tell you where I'm from? I can, I can love, I, I love, I love people that are gay and lesbian. I just don't like that they're gay and lesbian. I just think there's a better choice. Can I just kind of say, I think God has made a better way. And if you're looking for love, I appreciate that. But I think the way God has intended it is that a man would look for love from a woman and a woman would look love for a man. And I really think that's the healthy and the best. And so that's what I, that's what I believe in. Um, love you. I'd like to talk to you, both of you. You know, if you've got family members that are, some, you know, all of a sudden someone shows up at family gathering and say, hi, this is, I'm, your sister shows up and says, this is my girlfriend, or your brother shows up and says, hey, this is my, my boyfriend, or they might show up and they say, we got married. And, um, it doesn't mean you don't love them. But you pray for the wisdom and the timing to say, hey, I'd love to talk to you guys about it. I'd like to be open about it. I love you. I just don't, I just think I'd like to kind of tell you how God thinks and how God's way and I'd like to see what you think about that. And so you just take your, take your stand and you might get some, might, you will get some pushback. But here's the thing I've noticed is when you, when you lovingly respond, that's not the exact thing they think you're not going to do. They think you're going to come down with a hammer of judgment and therefore they're going to fire back if you do that. You do that, you'll get walloped in the head and then it'll be a fight. But if you show grace, I'm not saying every time, many times, people actually go, wow, I'd like to hear more about why, you know, I'd like to hear a little bit more about the, the way Jesus would deal with these feelings I'm having. How would he help me? And whatever the issue. And then lastly, I just want to go one more time about your humanity and like how you go through things like cancer, um, losing a loved one, issues. Um, one thing we're talking a lot about and I talked a little bit about yesterday at a funeral was things that deal with mental illness, addictions, um, our sins, our struggles, the disappointment, heartbreak. How do we deal with some of those areas of affliction? And I would say God is able to take that away. But he also knows what is best and when is best. And so if you're going through something right now, I just want you to ask God and say, Lord God, will you help me with this? Will you just help me? Like this is really, really hard and harder than anything I've ever been through in my life. And, and, and if you're having feelings like, man, I don't know that I can keep going in this Christian life or I'm just like to the end, then you're not alone and you're not the first person that ever felt that way. And God says, I want you to hang on and I want you to hold on to me. So someone would, let me, let me just close with this two directions to go. If you're not a Christian and you're going through a severe trial and it just feels unfair, it's like, why is this happening to me? Then can I say that a severe trial is designed by God to get you on your knees so that you'll finally cry out to God? It's not revealing that God doesn't love you. It reveals that He does love you and He's trying to bring you to the point where you finally recognize your need for Him. That's what a trial, severe trial is for the unbeliever. Will you ever get low enough to look up to God? That's the purpose of a trial for an unbeliever. The purpose of a trial for a believer has many things. 
but mostly it's to strengthen your love for God, to strengthen your faith in God, and display your commitment to God. And when the Christian goes through a trial, it could be that God is saying, I brought this along because you've been drifting away from me and I'm summoning you back to me and this has made you be reminded of how desperately you need me, so call upon me in this hour. It could be that there's people in your life and they don't know what Christianity looks like and they've never watched someone go through a trial in such a way as the one who has faith and is trusting in God. So I'll just say, either way, the purpose of trials, whether it's your Christianity or merely your humanity, is to glorify God so that the world can see what it looks like to trust God when life's not easy. And I don't know about you, but majority of people come to faith through some trial. Majority of people do not come to faith. I don't really, actually, I don't know anyone that came to faith because everything was going so well in their life. I really don't. I can't think of anyone. You know, things are going so great in my life, I think I want to surrender to God. Now, I've, I don't have any record of that. If that was your story, you can tell me. It's like my life was doing so good without God that I decided I wanted Him. What I have discovered is usually people have to get all their props knocked out from under them and they're falling down and God uses the trial to bring them to faith and then He uses trials to keep our faith strong. Um, if you're here today and you need Christ, then... Maybe you're going through something, you go, where is God? And then you say, right here, He's right there with you. And He says, turn your fist into an open hand. Instead of blaming God, call upon God. And so also if you're here today and you have some trial that you're going through right now, I want to encourage you and say walk closely to God because God has reasons and He wants to use this trial so others can see what it looks like to trust in God when you need Him most. That's what the world needs to see, okay? Make a little bit of sense for us as to why we're going through things that are difficult and how, why this world needs for Christians to suffer so we can show that our faith is real. All right, let's pray. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for um, answers. Um, thank you that we can see a little bit better why Paul went through so much and reasons why some of us are going through a lot. We just pray that you would be present here. God, and I just pray if there's someone here today and they've, they've never understood this and now they're beginning to understand that their trial isn't a reflection that you don't love them, but it's a reflection and a, a reminder that you're, you're calling them to turn to you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. He will make your path straight. Thank you, God, for the information we have in the Word of God. And I just pray right now, God, and anyone who's going through something that's really hard, would you work in their hearts right now to begin to turn to you and relook at this trial they're going through that maybe it's not an indicator that you don't love them, but it might be the very indicator that you do love them. In Jesus' name, amen.